I'm ready. I got I got my coffee. <laughs> I put it in the film up mug. Yo, what's up, man? Yo, what's up, man? How are you? Yo, yo. How's it going, birthday boy? Really good. Had a great week. It was insane. Well, dude, I'm, I'm glad you had a good weekend. And um, we won't talk about the birthday festivities on here. I'm sure they're too inappropriate to put I'm not that. Us, but... Maybe one or two, but I'm not that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, are we ready to get started? Whenever you are. All right, we'll start in three, two, one. Hey guys, I'm Arye. And I'm Christina. And we are your hosts at the Film Up Podcast, where we explore the stories of accomplished filmmakers and creatives and their road to success. Each podcast is dedicated to a nonprofit of our guest choosing. The goal here is for the Film Up Podcast to help filmmakers and help the world at the same time. And we believe you can do both. Today, we are thrilled to be joined by David Rock, also known as D-Rock. Hello, how are you? Hello, welcome. Hello, hello. <laughs> it's so funny. I uh, we know each other so well. I, I feel like at this point, I'm like, yo, like we're just hanging and having a good time. And it's funny as becoming a filmmaker. I feel like you always want to change the world, right? That's why you want to make films. You want to like help make the world a better place, build imagination. Like you just inherently want that. So I feel like what you guys are doing here is awesome. I'm excited about it. Thank you. Dude, we we appreciate it. And I feel like all creatives um, that come from that same vantage point really attract each other. So I feel like there's a reason that we all connected. Um, and it, and it's awesome. And I know, Tina, you know, you had a little bit of an opening. Maybe we should share a bit of background on, on D-Rock and, and show him off to everybody. Definitely. So those who don't know D-Rock, he has worked as a video editor for Gary Vaynerchuk since 2014. Serendipity played a major role as D-Rock made an offer to create a free video for Gary simply titled Clouds and Dirt, which led to their long-standing relationship. As one of the longest tenured members of the now 35-plus person Team Gary, D-Rock filmed and edited the very first episode of Hashtag AskGaryV and hundreds more from there. While he's always either behind the camera or in the editing bay, you'll often see him alongside Gary in 30 plus countries a year, traveling the globe and recording all the details of what takes place on Gary's entrepreneurial adventures. Prior to his time at VaynerMedia, D-Rock worked on a series of independent films and television shows, including Royal Pains, The Carrie Diaries, and A Case of You. When he's not behind the camera, he's often running marathons or to and from his home in Queens, and the VaynerMedia office. As already mentioned, we pair each podcast episode to a nonprofit. So DRock would like to dedicate his episode to the organization Pencils to Promise, a nonprofit that builds schools and increases educational opportunities in the developing world. And that's our podcast. Thank <laughs> you. Yep, so thank you for having us. Mom, you'll be proud of me. Thank you. I'm out. <laughs> thank you. Well well, D Rock, thank you for being here. And we are we are so incredibly excited to talk with you. And what you've done at VaynerMedia and with Gary Vanderchuk 
is massive. I mean, we know a bit under the hood of your operation, but you guys have really created almost like a media conglomerate that is putting out so much content daily, weekly, monthly, and there's so much to get into on that. But before we do, we'd love to learn more about Pencils of Promise and why you chose them to pair with your episode. Yeah, it's so fun. I, I love Pencils of Promise, and there's a few reasons why. You know, one of the first, like, real events I was able to kind of go to with Gary, where I wasn't holding the camera, where it's just, like, something unique for me. Like, Gary normally has me around to film stuff, but, like, I remember early in the days, I would always be like, yo, can we hang out? But I, I would never ask that. He invited me to uh, go to this gala, which is the Pencil of Promise Gala, and it was a remarkable event. It was actually one of the first times I ever donated to it, uh, an event. I remember, like, raising my, my hand at the table and be like, I'm giving a thousand dollars. And I'm like, and Gary like, what me? Like, what? And he's like, I know what you're making. Like, how are you going to, and he's like, it was an incredible moment. And then like two or three years after that, we all went to Africa to kind of go see what the effect of like building the schools were. And to me, it was one of my most, most life-changing moments. Listen, the reason why I'm so grateful, more grateful than all the other circumstances I've had in my life. I've had 13 surgeries. I've had a lot of like uh, physical uh, things going on that I've had to deal with. I think the other reason why I'm so grateful is because I can go to my sink right now and get clean water. I can go to any sink in New York or anywhere around the US and most of the world and get clean water. And that to me is a blessing because you go to Africa, these women are walking with six gallons of water on their head for six miles to go get clean water and you know when they get back it's not even clean water and so like that to me it was such a juxtaposition of like how grateful you got to be when you wake up you have water at your tap meanwhile some girl is bitching about not having oat milk at the, in their coffee and that's where i'm like if you can get your perspective in that spot then i think you'll be in a good place and honestly, like, the journey that we had with Pencils of Promise was, like, something that I'll never forget. These kids had nothing. Maybe one soccer ball with a Nike swoosh on it or something that was all worn out. But they were so happy. And again, like, that's so powerful. And I think, you know, a lot more people need more perspective, you know? That's so awesome. Thanks so much, D-Rock, for sharing that. They sound like an incredible organization, and we're happy to be pairing them with this episode. Now, one of the ways we like to start off this podcast is from the beginning and what got you into filmmaking in the first place did you know you wanted to be a filmmaker was it just random what's kind of your journey uh and road to where you are now yeah i mean gosh it started so early you know at the age of 14 or 11 uh my older sister had a baby my uh first nephew jojo uh joseph paradise and uh he you know he was born she bought a home video camera and it was just sitting there, and I remember picking it up one day, and I'm like, can I film use this? And, you know, we were building Thomas the Tank Engine uh, trains, and I would, I would build these elaborate, like, train sets, and so I would film him playing with them. And I was like, wow, this is fun. Like, I like doing this. Um, I remember by the age of 14, I had stolen the camera, taken it home with me, and started filming my friends in the backyard. And I was just having, like, my friends would come over, we'd shoot, like, adventure videos. Um, my younger sister would be in my videos. We made music videos together. Um, and that's when I, like, learned, oh, wait, I can edit this. And that's cool. You can storytell. And so I started using Windows Movie Maker, a free program on your, soft, on your computer. 
and I just started like learning how to tell stories. And then I was like, cool, I'm like not the greatest shooter in the world at this point. Let me just download a bunch of YouTube videos and start mashing up stuff and learn how to cut and tell stories. Um, fast forward, I went to college. Uh, I wanted to go to New York Film Academy and I wanted to go to Full Sail, which is down in Florida. Um, just didn't have the money, my family didn't have it. I was not going to go into debt. I knew that from the beginning. I was like, I, I know what debt is and I don't want that, you know? So I decided to go to a uh, community college Got mostly full ride, paid for like one or two years uh, for radio and TV broadcasting. Wow. Got an associate degree, um, graduated, got into a car crash. What? <laughs> yep, totaled my car. Uh, and I'm living in Pennsylvania at the time. Uh, totaled my car. My mom was, it was funny, I was hanging with my family last weekend to celebrate my birthday. And we were kind of talking about the story of how. We're, my younger sister was in a performing arts school, mm -hmm. and she had a performance in October, like, for one of her shows, and I remember I had packed my bags, I had a pillow and a blanket, and my older sister, who had had the baby, and her husband and two kids came in to watch the show, and I, my mom put my bags and stuff in their car, and said, you're moving to New York. Wow. And so that's kind of how I my journey to New York happened. Um, lived in my sister's basement in Staten Island uh, for the first year and a half, just trying to figure out what the fuck I'm doing with my life. Uh -huh. um, got a job at Best Buy in Manhattan, did a bunch of freelance gigs, worked on a bunch of TV shows and PAs, worked for free for a bunch of different corporations and clients, eventually moved into Manha uh, Queens. I lived in Jackson Heights. Um, lived in a very, very small apartment, like $500 a month, uh, scrapped everything, ate bread and pasta, dollar menu off all the time. Um, and then kind of just like started building up my clientele and learning how to like freelance, you know, and just took that journey. Wow. I have so many questions <laughs> and there are so many things I want to ask you about unrelated to filmmaking. Like you are, an, you are an uncle at 11. Like what? <laughs> yeah. I have, I have three sisters, uh, two older, one younger. Um, my mom got married at 18 and so she, she's now 69. Oh, wow. She had a baby. Oh, she had a baby at 18. I mean, she got married at 16 uh, different wow. times. Her mom, her mom had like signed her over to, like the wow. husband, wow. uh, three different fathers, uh -huh. but we're all so very close and like, oh, man. they are my family. Wow. You know? So that, that's unbelievable. And you also had a ton of people to filmmaking with. So it's like every time they had a kid or someone got married, it's like, you got more, more content yeah. to make. <laughs> and I, on, to be honest, I hated live events and I hated documentaries. Mm -hmm. Which is funny now to look back at because now I'm working on one of the greatest, I think, one of the greatest documentaries of all time. I mean, Kanye kind of came out with something I'm like, I was gonna okay, say, yeah. you motherfucker. Yeah, but I was also, about but it. also like, listen, kudos to him. And I've I've heard in the past that he's been documenting his life, um, so I kind of knew that was going on. Um, mm -hmm. But that was 
that was a year or two ago I heard about that. So like, yeah, I watched I, I watched the the genius documentary, and sure. I actually did think about you and all the content you are getting Aww. with Gary Vee. But uh, <laughs> yeah, of course, on a, on a daily basis, D Rock. <laughs> but um, no, but w- with that all with that all being said. What was um, kind of that spark from when you were living with your sister and just kind of grinding it, working at Best Buy to that first break that you got? What was the thing that kind of you were like, hey, there's some momentum here. I might be able to do something with this as a career. I'm going to rewind it back one more time. Do it. I'm going to go into when I was, so I was homeschooled. So from the age of like young to when I went to college around 17, I was homeschooled, Mm -hmm. so I would, like, film and edit all the time, work at home. I would write. I was, like, I wanted to write, like, a Harry Potter-type book. Um, I would paint. I would play musical instruments. I was very much, like, a creative person, but then I found out that video, I was actually kind of good at it, Mm -hmm. and I loved it. There was a video that Will Smith, someone, some fan had edited a video of Will Smith of the nine reasons uh the nine successful habits mm-hmm. of like will smith or what it, what it takes to be successful i think i found that at the age of 16 on youtube mm-hmm. i watched that thing almost every single day yeah. and because of that video it gave me the uh audacity the tenacity the courage the self-belief to believe in myself mm. and say i i can do this mm. and you know to get a better sense of me my favorite films are like the Pursuit of Happiness, Seven Pounds, Born Ultimatum for sure. I loved uh, the cinematography on that. But very motivational, very like you can achieve anything. And so I always wanted to make films like that. And I said, if I can make a video like that that will change someone's life, I could die a happy man. Mm-hmm. And sitting here today, I know I can die right now and be happy. I know I left what I had to leave on this world. And so now everything else is gravy. Man. So even wait that you you you're you're giving me that that one thought even before we get into this next part of the journey because now I want to take it back. And you were talking about how you got in a pretty substantial car crash. Um, one of the reasons I came back to mind was I thought of Seven Pounds, and that's a key indicator in that film of why Will Smith becomes who he is. But in terms of your life, did that car accident have a profound impact on how you approach things, or was it something where it happened? I got through it. It is what it is. You know. Yeah, the car crash itself did not do anything for me, um, in terms of, like, I didn't think, I didn't think I was gonna die, it was not my, it was someone else's fault, I pulled out, the car ran over the front of my car, he was going way too fast, and sped around the corner, but what I did take away, what it, well, I mean, what happened, circumstantially, was, I had to move to New York, my mom and dad were like, we're not buying you another car, um, you, you need to figure this out, and, there, and I was kind of like, well, this isn't the time to kind of change up my life. And I think for my, my, uh, I forced myself to like, you know what, I gotta go, let me just try something else. So I think it didn't do it into my mental psyche, but it definitely relocated me to New York. And I feel like if I didn't come to New York, I might not be where I am today. And now I'm not saying I didn't have the drive or the tenacity, but me living in my sister's basement and then having to figure it out on my own was kind of the thing that like drove me to like really push it you know 
and and to that point, what was that moment where you were like, "There's some traction here. I might be able to have a career in this." I always knew it was gonna happen. I never actually had a moment. I don't think I still don't think I have that moment. And it's it's really funny, man. Like last night, I had like a late night, and I was watching. I watched three episodes of shows. I watched one episode of the new Uber show on Hulu. Really good. Uh, one show, one episode of Billions. I'm on the new season, and I'm on the, like the third episode of the Kanye doc. All three of those episodes all had to do with you got to go back to the fucking thing that made you the thing you are. And so I took on like notes last night, like yo, I got to go back to making mistakes. I got to go back to like the shit that I love because right now I'm like in this like weird middle place, and I don't like that. So I think for me. Any time I was able to work on a project that I cared about, wasn't the re- wasn't the ben- like, it's so funny, man. I went back to a lot of my client work, the stuff that I, got, I paid, that paid me. None of it really made me fulfilled, except for when I started working for Gary. Mm-hmm. I think the first five years of my freelance life, I was just working on projects for money. But then my buddy Stefan, who now still works at Vayner, he he was my college best friend too, which is like really fun. We have very different roles, we're in very different departments, but he's still there and it makes me so happy. But he would drive in from Pennsylvania every weekend and we would shoot stuff for free for ourselves. We would make like motivational videos, like and that's one of the videos that I actually sent to Gary to say, Hey, I can do this for you. Let me know. Wow. And so, like, for me, it was always, like, working on those passion projects, the things I did for free. The I would offer videos for free for clients that I thought were going to be cool and make my portfolio better. And those were always in the funner projects, not the ones that paid me the money, you know? Yeah. Well, you're such a huge advocate for when aspiring filmmakers are like, what should we do? You're like, do free work, do free work. Aspiring everybody. Yeah. And like, I'm currently working on a book called How to Get Your Dream Job. And it's all the premise of working for free or at least taking the humility route to get there. Yeah. I think too many people think they're too much hot shit and their time is worth money. Right now, I would go... It's so wild that like Kanye's doc came out because I always told people right now if Gary said, hey, bro, love you. I think we're done. I got a shot up. Like we're not filming anymore. I would be like, yo, I would take every video off the Internet of Kanye or of Jeff Bezos or anyone I wanted to be around or Drake. Edit it into like a mini doc and be like, yo, I can do this for you. And I would do that for free because I know I, what I can do after I get the opportunity. You know? Yeah, and so with that said, at what point do you know when to start charging? Because you can't work for free forever, right? So how do you navigate that transition? Yeah, my my biggest argument about working for, for free is you're in control. You're the person that is... You, if you are offering your services to somebody else, it's almost like a good relationship. you got to set the boundaries. You have to say, hey, I want to work for you for free. i got to make money. I have another side job that I have like my Best Buy thing that I did. But then at night, I edited for free. I mean, for, like, yeah, for free. and worked on other projects. Um, hey, I'm offering you three days a week for free. The other four days, I got to take a job and work. Like, too many people think that you got to do one or the other. 
I think if you're doing both all the time, and then also, you don't know when to start charging, you just gotta try to throw out numbers. Mm-hmm. And be like, hey, I can do this, or I made restaurant videos for $20. Mm-hmm. And this is like, so I moved out of my sister's basement, moved into Manhattan, was eating pasta, dollar, like bread, not like bagel, uh, I'm sorry, uh, bananas and coffee. I probably lived off of that for weeks. I would like go to Starbucks, order a coffee, drink it, order one banana, eat the banana. In Starbucks, they allowed you for one dollar to refill. I would go and keep refilling the Starbucks, drink coffee and eat one banana for an entire day. And then I had a gig where I could go film uh, restaurant videos for 20 bucks, but they also gave me a meal. And so I would go film like two or three restaurants and like get meals for the week. And eat half, budget the other half for the next day. And that's how I hustled to kind of find my grind. You're such a hustler. It's like why we love you so much. And I feel like you would still do that today. Tomorrow. Yeah. (laughs) Tomorrow. Well, I'd love to kind of explore the juxtaposition between that lifestyle and now where you're at. And I think it would be cool because you, you're the only person that could really explain it is you is to just kind of give a landscape of what the kind of media empire is at with, with Gary V and what you guys do and how it's all set up and how much content you're putting out. And we'd love to get an understanding of the landscape uh, for the audience. Yeah. So, you know, working with Gary over the last eight years has been a lot of fun. Like, honestly, I look back and I'm like, wait, wasn't that like 10, like 20 years? Like, it feels so long because, you know, I've been with him now through the Ask Gary V show, Daily V, Ask Gary V book, uh, Crushing It book, um, what's the other book? There's one more. God damn it. <laughs> just, and then, like, we put out a bunch of sneakers. We now, like, there's just so many different projects that we worked on. And then the beat rent thing, um, you know, it was me and two other people that were kind of on Team Gary in the beginning. It was Stunwin, Steve Unwin, who was Gary's writer at the time, and Zach Moy. Uh, Zach Moy is still with our company, who works with the Sasha Group. Um, he was a graphic designer, and then he brought me and David uh, to come film and uh, edit videos. Uh, when I first started, you know, I was just editing keynote videos that he had or random one-off videos and like, hey, I want to talk about Snapchat. So we, I would like grab my camera, film Snapchat, make like a little like video about it. And you'd be like, hey, I want to talk about Twitter. And I would film like Twitter videos. And then was VaynerMedia something at this point or VaynerMedia had it been formed yet? No, so it's day one I walk in. <laughs> All right, maybe, <laughs> yeah. Day one I walk into VaynerMedia when I got the job and I was wearing a button-down shirt tucked in into my slacks and you know i'm employing i think like 302 or something like that okay so vayner media had been around um okay. and, but i'm walking in and there's shorts and short sleeves and like sandals and like baseball caps i'm like wait a minute and so like that first day i was like oh my god and so like way dressed it down so vayner media was a thing at this point um gary had already had our first off our second office on 315 Park Avenue. So it was like all surreal, like this kid from like nowhere, now I'm working on Park Avenue. Like I called my mom, like, mom, I'm literally working on Park Avenue in Manhattan now, like as a full time job. This is wild. 
Um, yeah, VaynerMedia was around. Okay, okay. And so when you're working there, though, you know, you guys have such a strong social media presence. To be honest, you seems like you put out a new piece of content or multiple pieces of content every day that's totally unique. And so when you guys were starting, though, social media wasn't what it was now. And also the game that you guys are in wasn't really a game. You, the board was just getting made. So you're saying that while you were there, it started to evolutionize. And you guys picked up on the trend really quickly. And Gary was all about, let's make a TikTok video. Let's make a YouTube video. And you guys well, just moved. To that, Yeah, to that point, like TikTok and Musical.ly and uh, Snapchat weren't really even around at this point. It was Facebook. And Facebook video hasn't even really popped yet. It was like Facebook. It was mostly YouTube. I was brought in to help Gary's YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Hey, edit these keynotes, make sure we're uploading new content all the time, whatever. Then Facebook releases this video platform. Yeah. At the time, we had already been in like Ask Gary V land. And so then we started being like, you know what? We got to put the full episodes of Ask Gary V on Facebook. Then, throughout that time, we started to get to a point where we were like, cool, I think we got to chop up mini clips of Ask Gary V and send it to the people that Gary answered the questions to. So I would literally sit there with one episode of Ask Gary V, chop up every answer, and send it to each person to make sure that they knew that Gary answered them. Because a lot of times, we were just picking random people and picking random questions off of Twitter. And so that's how we started to build our community. And then over time, you know, I was editing uh, Ask Gary V all the time. And I'm like, Gary, I'm kind of like getting bored. I want to like edit more of the short film stuff. And so I started taking clips from the Ask Gary V show and uh, keynotes and having Gary add in a couple of few new cents of like commentary. Mm-hmm. That started to become my short film. And I, I was like, wait a minute. I can't just have him talking. I gotta go like follow him around, get some cool B-roll and cover it up. I was like, Gary, let me come and like follow you around for a day or two. I filmed him, just got some cool B-roll shots. And in the back of my head, I was like, wait a minute, this guy's life is interesting. Like it's not just, cause I only knew him as I would come in, sit down and film the Ask Gary V show. And then he would go off on his day and do whatever he had to do. Mm-hmm. I was not like a part of his life at all. Wait, so was that, is that where that came from? Because that, his, his brand, his whole online presence is really that style of filmmaking. It is following him around and seeing, yeah, it's the vlog. So that's. Well, that, that was not, and then it became, so, you know, this is, we're in the peak of Ask Gary Vee, book came out, um, our book is about to come out, book is written, uh, Casey Neistat had started vlogging every single day, Mm -hmm. and after I was like, Gary's like, hey, go find people on YouTube that are doing cool stuff. I went and found Casey Nash, and I was like, yo, this guy, he's filming everything every day. We gotta do this. And Gary's like, no, like, I can't imagine, like, me vlogging. And I was like, bro, I'll film you. Like, you don't have to do anything, I'll just document you. He's like, no, 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 no. Throughout the years, I had been filming Gary's basketball games at 5.30 in the morning, where he would play at the YMCA on 14th Street, and we would be filming, like, I would just film this content for him and his buddies to have. And, you know, one day I was just like, fuck it, I'm, I need to do this. And so he asked me to film the 5.30 game. I filmed him until about 7. He went home, showered. I appeared at his 8.30 meeting. <laughs> and if you watch Daily V1, 
you can see the moment where I'm across the street and filming Gary, and he looks up and he's kind of confused. I told him, like, I'm filming you today, and that's Daily V1. Wow. And, that, and then after, it took me about a week to, like, edit it and, like, kind of get it together because I had never done it before. After we put it out, he was like, we have to do this all the time. Um, wow. And that's kind of the beginning of the vlogging documentary style. Now, right before that happened, because Facebook was take, taking off, we needed something to, like, kind of start momentum. Gary texted me on a random Sunday night, being like, yo, I fucking need you to show up in my apartment. Like, I fucking need you to show up. I feel so motivated right now. We need to talk. Like, people hate their jobs. We need to solve this problem. Yeah. So then I show up in his apartment at 7 o'clock in the morning on the corner of, like, the Upper East Side, and I'm holding my camera, and that's when the Monday morning video kind of hits. He hits this, like, random video where he's like, fuck you, Monday. And so I go to the office right away. By 8.30, we have it live. Gary's Facebook page for 10 years, he had been building it, had gone up to 500,000 fans. 10 years. That video goes out one week later, we double the Facebook page in that one week. Wow, that gave me This goosebumps. is when our first like, viral moment had happened. And so we were like, wait a minute, this is unique, this is special. Then, you know, we started documenting. I started doing the blogging and everything. The next thing, we did this one episode with Charlemagne the God and um, Andrew Schultz, which Gary was just on his podcast yesterday. Um, we filmed this one episode. I hear something I'm like, yo, Gary's like, yo, you don't, you, uh, you don't know what Prince did to become successful. He worked as a janitor to get studio time to record an album. I was like, yo, this is the second Monday morning, like, rant. Mm -hmm. I cut it up, and we put it on the Facebook page, same thing happened. Instant virality, a lot of traction, and that's when we realized the documentation was not only for the vlog, but for the viral moments and the clips. And then Gary's like, we gotta change everything. Clips first, vlog second. Wow. And so that's kind of where our system came from. That's so awesome. And I mean, to go back to like the amount of content you put out is like insane. I know you so guys like... are trying to pull it out of me. <laughs> we put out 150 to 200 pieces of content a day, guys. Right. That's it's a lot of content. Thank you. Thank You're welcome. You. I wanted to lead you into it. I had to tell the story. Okay, but that being said, yes. how do you find a balance between the speed of content you put out, right? The yeah. speed and the amount and the quality of it. Yeah, well, I think, again, back to where why we're here. I'm a filmmaker at heart. I wanted things to look good. Gary wanted things faster. He's a businessman. I think look good, faster, pull apart, in that middle, and kind of like that like tension in that middle is where I think we got Gary mm -hmm. ran from. You know, I always was like, yo, I need better lighting, better audio, and better this. And Gary's always, fuck you, I need it faster, faster, faster. And I think I was always pushing so hard to get what I wanted, he was pushing what he wanted. And in that is kind of where we got our, our sauce, you know? I feel like that's me and Arya. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> Any, like, working or personal relationship, you're always going to have that. And then it becomes magic in the middle and it, like when you create content do you ever or did you ever find yourself kind of falling into that perfection trap 
Uh, in the beginning, yes, and then Gary broke me. You know, like, I would say, like, almost like breaking in a horse. Gary kind of broke me in that way. He's like, bro, like, I love you, and I love that you're a filmmaker, but you need to, like, get this out faster. And I think that's kind of where I become... I care about quality less now, in terms of, like, for what we do as Gary, or personal brand, or marketing. I think filmmaking, you do need that, like, fucking cinematography. I respect the shit out of, like, Euphoria's DP, how they light everything. I think there's a certain place for art, and there's, there's a certain place for science. I think where we live is right in the middle of that. That's why, like, even now, I'll still work on... I, we just put out a short film I worked on for Gary last week. We still need the higher-end quality production while we're still putting out the volume. And it really just depends on what you want as a, as a brand, as a film project, as a personality, as a company, what it is that you're trying, what the out, outcome is. So I just read this article the other day. Well, it was actually kind of a, a Twitter thread shared by this guy named Joe Spizer, who ran this company in 2018 called Little Things. And they were doing about 75 million a year in revenue. And their company was focused on feel good content that they shared to Facebook. And they just were getting an insane amount of impressions. I think it was up to like 900 million impressions a month. And their company was just scaling. And then Facebook one day decided that they wanted to change the algorithm to stop promoting feel-good content and focus more on being a more serious platform for news and media. Overnight, the company tanked, death sentence. All their content stopped getting um, interest. They, it wasn't getting streamed anywhere. They would have to pay more on ads to get it in front of people and they wouldn't be able to fix their bottom line. Now, you guys being so heavily focused, I mean, you're a media company, your media has traction, but algorithms are a huge part of your business. Have you had to navigate the algorithm change in social media? Always, every day. Like, listen, what we do is art and science, math. Like, Every day at 4.30, we have meetings of what's called overperforming and underperforming. We look at the 100 pieces of content that we put out in the last like, few days, we look at the 100 pieces of content we want to put out, and say, hey, what worked well? What can we do better? How can we edit? How can we make it better to work with the algorithm and platform? Also, if you look and probably pay a very attention to that very little thing, I don't really know, so, but I'm assuming, they probably relied on one platform too much. I think we, Gary, Gary believed in diversification no matter what. Like, we don't care where we get views, we just care about we're on every platform because we believe in making it as easy as possible for the consumer. The consumer, listen, there are people that read hundreds of books a year. There are people that listen to thousands of podcasts a year. There are people that read social media blog posts a year. Everyone has a different way of intaking content, we've always done a good job of being all of that. And I think a lot of companies, I don't know, again, like little things, probably relied too much on one platform and didn't diversify and push to their own website, to TikTok, uh, to Instagram video, to Snapchat at the time. I think they probably just over, they didn't have a podcast, they probably over leveraged on one platform and relied too much on it. Yeah, I feel like diversification is the key to social media. You know, once you nail one, go to the next one. Yeah, because the algorithm is always going to change. That's what platforms do. That's what they're trying to make it a better experience for the end consumer. And so are we. And that's why I think why we've done okay on all platforms is 
we were never romantic about what we did. We were just romantic of how we got the message out to people, wherever they were. And speaking of messages, you know, I know you've interviewed hundreds of really incredible people. Was there one that was really notable to you or very impactful? Mm, Gary? Yeah. I think, yeah. yeah. What, what were some of um, like the people and the brands that you've worked with? And do you think that as a filmmaker, there was a unique approach that you had to take depending on the person that you were working with or the brand? I think for a lot of creatives right now who are getting into these brand partnerships and interviewing celebrities and notable creatives and even people who are just notable business or political figures, was there a nuanced approach you had to take? Because I find oftentimes people will burn a few bridges asking the wrong questions doing the wrong thing until they learn the proper etiquette so as a filmmaker did you have to learn that or did you just know how to approach it yeah i think early in my freelance you know you gotta learn how to communicate i think every great relationship whether it be personal or professional you gotta learn how to communicate but what i was gonna say is i think a lot of people and myself included whenever i got an opportunity for a client to make a video i would always try to like copy what a commercial or a copy of something else that I thought they would want. That they that I thought, oh, they want this like I want to try to be like this because that's what they want. Where I think a lot of influencers are fucking up is they're trying to make it too traditional looking. Like they're moving what got them there was their untraditional approach. And then when they get the opportunity to meet a celebrity or do something with them, they try to make it feel like something the celebrity already done. Meanwhile most of the time, the reason why the celebrity wants to come and interact with them is because of their new approach. And I think that's kind of where a lot of up-and-coming filmmakers or influencers fuck up because mm. they don't. They try to make it look like something that they have already, the other person's already done. Stay fresh and stay pure to kind of like what you do, and that's kind of where like I think I've done a good job. Like this is what we do, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what's really awesome about you guys? I think it's really easy to look at you and where you're at now and where Gary's at and just say, well, you know, they have a ton of resources and they have a ton of connections and it just kind of works. But the reality is, is that if people are listening carefully, every single break that you guys got was because you had to do something really creative to the approach. You had to force Gary to let you film him. You had to, you had to capture that idea on a Monday show when you had to go stand in front of his building and you caught and you said there's an opportunity here and you guys are constantly hustling to find the next creative approach sorry i cut you off were you gonna say something there no yeah i I just want to make sure that like i didn't force gary to film it you know i just i like to always be humble humble card he hired me he gave me the opportunity what i'll say about the approach thing is anytime that we got into a system on team gary and you could ask andy who ran team gary Anytime, like, we were like, yes, we finally got our system. Every, all the uh, team members understand what they're doing. Gary would be like, we gotta go this way now. Or <sighs> this way. Like, he would always, like, change it and break it. I think, to like, Gary's credit all the time, he always knew when we were getting comfortable, and he would break that pattern and make us go another direction. I think that is really where, it, like, that came from. 
Yeah. Well, I know also, I mean, even though it's a little bit off topic of filmmaking, but it really does link back to media in general. You guys were so quick on the NFT thing and you, it paid off. You guys got such a return from being so quick to understanding that market and jumping on it. Um, I know you guys have put out all sorts of content and things around NFTs. Did that correlate to any of the filmmaking that you were doing? Did you guys do different work with NFTs and different approaches in it or not particularly? No, I, I, you know, because of COVID, Gary had a lot more time to think. I think, you know, historically, anytime he's been on a vacation, he's always come back with new ideas and new, like, thoughts. I think because of COVID, again, he had more time to, like, be at home and click around on his laptop and learn. He heard about NFTs. He did about 55, probably 75 hours worth of homework. And then he, like, said, you know what, guys? You need to buy this thing called a CryptoPunk. We were all in threads where we were like buying sports cards and everything. And he was like, guys, you have to buy this NFT. We're like, this looks like crazy pixels. It's like $30,000. Like, what are you talking about? Uh And I think because we all move fast, Gary's a fast mover. He doesn't invent things. He only listens to the things that are actually happening. And then like, when there's enough momentum behind them, then he'll, he'll jump in. People think that he like predicts what's going to be next. He's not. He's just listening to what is happening. And when it has momentum, then he'll strike. And then that's when, but he's just like always listening. So he's a little bit earlier than most, you know? Um, so that's kind of like where NFT is. And then he's like, hey, I have to do this project. I'm going to draw 5,000 characters with what his initial ambition was. We had like eight, uh, eight days in Malibu where he was like, hey, come. He just starts drawing. We realized 8,000, 5,000 characters is not possible. Um, he drew like, I think 300 or something plus characters, which was still, he was just drawing nonstop. We're all like, what the hell is this? What the hell? Like, these are some weird ass cartoons. Like, why don't we hire, you have so many resources. Why don't you hire like, amazing like artists like can like this he was like no 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 it has to be mine it has to be what i did and i agree like now in retrospect he was super genius and like right about that you know like he was very much he's just a very intuitive knows what he wants and he just trusts himself a hundred percent you know yeah definitely and and you just you've been talking about you know traveling to all these places you're always on the run I want to know, what's your go-to run-and-gun setup? Mm. Like, what do you grab when Gary's, like, shooting all around? Yeah, and this is where I think a lot of filmmakers will kind of, like, poo-poo me a little bit, because I, I don't care, but I what I love is the Sony a7S III, uh, my classic 24-70 Canon lens, I have a Metabonus adapter, the Sennheiser AVX mk 3s are my favorite, uh, best audio quality on the run-and-gun. Um, that's basically my setup, and then that's, that's really it. That's all I use. It's pretty lean. Uh, yeah, and it's funny, like, I tried the gimbal stuff, I tried the, Now I have, like, an actual travel tripod, which I didn't use for years, but I but I do now. I just... Gary's lifestyle was so... I would pick him up at 7 a.m. in the morning from his, from his apartment, and I would drop him off at, like, 2 a.m. Oh, my God. Wow. Like, that was, like, our nights, and, like, that was our days, and, like, then I would go to the office, I would edit a few hours, and then I would, like, try to sleep for a few, and then we would do it again. So, like, I never was able to, like, 
hop in and out of cars with gimbals and like go to this meeting and set up this track. Like there is not enough time for that. Gary is minute by minute. My favorite thing to do like once you and we, us meet in person is show Gary's calendar because the man every minute is filled with wow. something. It is there are five minute meetings. There are like twenty five minute meetings back to back. There's fifteens. There's hours. Like. His calendar is some, is a living, breathing organism. And like, listen, I, during COVID, tried to pack my schedule as much as I could because I was not in productivity like him. I do think that there are different ways of being productive. I don't think everybody should have their calendar packed, but I definitely think that a lot more people, I'm a big list person. Like, I like, I love my list. A lot of times how I get my list done is I'll just keep adding to it and then at the beginning of my week block out moments in my list of what I need to accomplish in my calendar. So I feel like people got to maximize that more, but um, yeah, his, his calendar is a living, breathing organism. It's <laughs> wild. Well, um, we talked about a ton of your successes. I'm curious if there was ever a moment where you guys tried something as filmmakers and it really bombed. And what was something where you're like, this thing's going to be awesome. This is the next big thing. What yeah. are some of the things that the failures that are hidden underneath the successes? Yeah, I think, you know, like because of our nature of putting out as much volume as possible, we're always testing. I think that's the reason why Gary's brand has uh, taken off was because we are not afraid to fail. Um, we have, there's so many shows that we have like one or two episodes on, on our YouTube channel that you can go find. We just, we were like, oh, this is a great idea, film two episodes and nothing. But yeah, that's kind of, I think, we have so many failures, but we just keep moving on. I feel like a lot of people spend a lot of time up front ideating and planning. We kind of take the approach of let's just make it, and if it works, then we'll adapt and change. Back to your earlier point of like people see how successful we've gotten, you know? I'm now with Gary eight years, seven and a half really. Gary did five years of filming wine content every single day. That's a thousand episodes. So whenever I tell people like, hey, you wanna talk about production quality we have, I always tell them like, hey, go do five years of an episode every day we're just setting up like a handy cam, and then let's talk what happens. Because Gary, before me, had Mott, a videographer in his wine library days, literally just set up a handy cam and it was start finish, use some bullshit title on Windows Movie Maker, and put it out. So again, that's 13 years if you total that up of content creation. The first five were very basic filmmaking. The back end is where he had the more resources and tools to create the better looking content. Right now, you can sit there using your phone and put out something every single day until you get to the point where you can afford it. So I'm so curious about really your start of filmmaking to where you are now and the type of content that you do. Is there something else that you're looking to do in the filmmaking space beyond kind of this documentary like pro, you know, like positive content that you guys, inspirational content that you guys are putting out? Is there something you're looking to get into like narrative or short film yeah. or episodic? I, yeah, I've always thought I can make the next Harry Potter or like next cool motion picture. 
um, or TV. Now I'm like diving into like, like I want to make a TV show like Fast and Furious, but like really diving into every character. Like I feel like that could be like long form what they're doing on HBO. Like really thought. I think there's so many opportunities to build out narratives now, especially with TV. But I also think that like V for like why I stayed with Gary was I always wanted to be the next Disney as well. Gary is really now taking that to like, he's always wanted to do that, and now with V Friends, we're going to. Every single character is going to have a story. And so, whether that be like the Three Horned Heart Pick, the character I owned, or Ambitious Ant, or whatever the characters are, then I think we are going to plan on building out narratives around each and every single character. Do you have any any of that like earlier writing that you used to do as a kid? Do you still have? Some I do. Of that yeah, I have somewhere? a lot of it. I have like the map that I drew out. I have like you know, I I love the Lord of the Ring, Harry Potter, like all those films, and like I have the whole magic world that I yeah drafted up. Wow. Even over the last few years, I've kind of been jotting some ideas um, down. Yeah, I I I have some stuff. I'm I'm excited. I think, you know. I'm I'm 31 now. I'm excited for the next like 35 years. You know, I we're excited. We're excited <laughs> to watch you. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm excited that we're all knowing each other. We're just gonna keep growing together. It's gonna be fun. You Definitely. know, I think that's the one thing that people underestimate about what we've done with content. People don't realize that content lives on forever, right? My whole life changed because I watched that one Will Smith video. You can, I can, you can still go, some kid can stumble upon that video right now and the same thing happens. Mm-hmm. Um, what we've done now with Gary is put out an immense amount of value of content and what people are not realizing is when you watch the content, like yourselves, you guys are going to go on to do incredible things with your life. You guys are going to often point, or you or other people are going to point back and be like, yo, I watched this one video. And that changed my life, and I was able to go do something with that. A lot of times, that ends up being business results for the person that puts that out. You know, like substantial amounts of CEOs, CMOs, creatives, uh, inventors, people that are going to build the next platform are watching Gary's content right now. Mm-hmm. And in the next ten years, they're going to develop into big people, and that's how like life works. And that's why that's. This patience thing is going to be wild, you know? That's why the NFT thing, a lot of people are getting confused, like, oh, you know, Gary's so lucky he got this whole NFT project and it did so well. Lucky? We just talked about the last 15 years, 13 years of making content and providing value. I don't think anyone right now that's launched a big NFT project is realizing that they have to put out immense value for their audience and build a great community. Mm. I think that's where... Gary sits, and I think that's what I've I've been happy and proud to be a part of, um, and excited to keep working on it for the future. You know, not to get too meta, although that word's kind of been ruined for me by Facebook changing their name, but yeah. but, but our that's that's why we're doing this podcast. Our hope is someone listens to this or sees some of the clips that we put out there, and that's their Will Smith video. And we're really focusing on the filmmaking industry, so it's so awesome that you're kind of paying it forward in this roundabout. Way. That was another one of my favorite films, Pay It Forward. Yeah. I love that movie. It was so good. But yeah, like, listen, man, what we always say is one piece of content, one moment. That is, like, the one thing you need to really, like, get your juices going. What I'll tell people right now, if you're, like, a filmmaker, go film and make shit and put it out. I have 
hundreds of videos on my hard drives that I have not put out, and I wish I did. Because it's like, why not? People are, I think, why I put out the content I put out on my Instagram is to be the journal for the people that want to be me in the future. Like, it would be so cool right now, and I know you guys would agree with this, if you can go look at, like, Steven Spielberg's Instagram, and saw when he wrote this clavicle, and he's going through a low, or when he worked on this new idea for, like, this new, like, movie called E.T. or something. Like, it would be so wild to see the behind-the-scenes and the journals, the... Like, we watch Rihanna's video when she's, like, 13 right, years old, and it's like, wow, that's so cool. If you can think about yourself more as a journalist and diaries and put your content out there for people who want to be you in the next 30, 40 years, that's what I love about social media. And we connect in your social media. You can have the conversation that you want to have. Yeah. And that's the power. That's one of the reasons I love your social account is because you're so honest and genuine. Like literally the other day, you were just telling everyone how you felt like you weren't living up to your potential and your content and being honest about that, but also being super appreciative of everything else in your life. And I think that if we could see that more, that would benefit so many people. Yeah, and I, I challenge you both, like, as you're sitting here today, like, the greatest thing I ever did for myself was I was sitting and fil I was filming and editing Gary Vee videos, and I would hear it over and over again, put out content. I was like, fuck it, I gotta do it. And, like, I started putting out, like, quotes and stuff, and everybody on my team, like, was making fun of me in a way, like, stop trying to be Gary, and I'm like, I'm not, I'm just literally listening to him. I think that's why I, I grew my brand to a little bit of a thing. Andy and Tyler have now followed suit, and they've, like, now established themselves, but I do give myself credit of, like, I listened, I listened to Gary, and, like, I just put out the content, you know? Um, put out content and share... Your lows and highs. I think, again, socialist has such a good, uh, hey, if you want to go with other people and be happy, go with the social media. I want to show more of the other side because I think, again, it's a journal for me. It's a journal for the people that want to do what I want to do. And it's exciting. Like, I, I love that you read that post because I put, I put it out there for you to read it. You know? I want, I want my followers to, like, just be real and like let's talk about the hard times too you know yeah it's so important um as we kind of get closer to ending this i kind of wanted to do our last segment which we call rapid fire um Love. and so just a few questions they're kind of fun so the first one is what's the most outrageous request you've ever received from a client or someone on set um I can't remember. I mean, it was, there was a part of when we were doing Daily V where I was filming and, and traveling. We were, like, London to, like, Brussels to like, or Belgium to, like, something else. I was filming all day, traveling all day. I would be editing the vlogs into, like, 5 a.m. in the morning and meet Gary at 8. Wow. And, like, I did that for a couple months. I think that period of my life was the hardest and most outrageous thing I've ever done. Um, but I also was like the foundation of like what kind of, why I can now work on the thing I want to work on. Because of that hustle, because of that, that would be the, the outrageous. 
it wasn't a request, but more of like an expectation. Like, he's gonna film and edit the vlog and be ready to next day to like, film. That was crazy to me. How did you survive that? Like, did what did you eat? Did you... <laughs> Tenacity. <laughs> Amazing. Um, okay, next question. What's the weirdest DM you've ever received? No, uh, weird. And man, there's some like weird ones. Um, I, I, I think the most annoying one was just like, can I have Gary's time? And it's like, no, I can't give that to you. Yeah, you know? that makes sense. Okay, last one. What is the motto that you live by? Live every day as if it's on purpose. And it's from uh, Hitch with Will Smith. Love it. Wow. Well, I guess a, a final question for you, and one of the ways we like to end out the segment, is what are some projects that you're currently working on? Is there anything that you need from the filmmaking community? Are there people that you're looking for? Is there a reason people should, should reach out to you and try to connect? Yeah, I mean, there's quite a few things I'm working on. One right now is uh, Eva No Saddam, which is our new production company at Vayner, used to be V-Pro, is now Eva No Saddam, Madison Avenue backwards. Mm -hmm. It is a production company where we're focusing on making music videos for our clients, uh, commercials that don't look like commercials, and uh, what I'm working on is something called MBS, Modern Branded Shows. We are creating eight episodic shows for brands like uh, bigger brands, I can't say names because that's client yeah. confidentiality. We are working on long episodic form content with micro attached to it. I think we are always looking for cinematographers, editors, DPs that want to be a part of this project. So that's something. Number two, um, you know, currently working on V Friends. Uh, VCon is going to be a big production. Um, but we're always lo looking for creators who like are animators, uh, special effects, 3D renderers, uh, After Effects, all those types of people. So if you're into that, send it my way. I'll forward you to Andy. Um, number three, I'm working on a clothing brand, fashion brand called Made By. Um, Made By and then blank. So right now I'm working on getting on a bunch of NFT projects and designing their merch. I have a few that are coming out where It'll be like made by on like a project of theirs. So I'm working on that. So if you know of any NFT projects that are character based that are coming out and they need clothing, let me know. Um, other than that, no, nothing else. Well, D-Rock, it has been such a privilege getting to speak with you and thank you to our incredible audience for tuning in. Feel free to say hello to D-Rock on Twitter at David Rock New York City or follow the journey on Instagram at D-Rock. Uh, Drock, thank you. Thank you for having me. This was fun. And thank you again, everyone, for tuning into the Film Up podcast. I'm your host, Christina. And I'm Arya. Stay tuned for our next episode dropping every Tuesday. Till next time. Thanks, guys. And subscribe. 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 <laughs> like, share, subscribe. Please reach out to me and also these two lovely humans. Thank, thank you. you guys for doing so much good in the world. You're thank the you. best. I appreciate thank it. Thank you.